0: In for the touchdown. Of course, the crowd wants Reed to go for it. Wouldn't be surprised if he did on fourth
1: down and one. So, it's with that, time goes. Welcome to fourth and one. I'm Todd Palmer, joined by Nick Jacobs. It's big week for you, Nick. Um I know you weren't at uh were not weren't with me at OTA's on Thursday when they had some availability, but you did get to do something I have not done, and that is see Top Gun Maverick in theaters. So uh, uh, we can talk chiefs if you want, but I'm more interested off the top in your observations about the movie and whether it's appropriate for my children.
0: It, um, for the most part, it'll be appropriate for your children.
1: Okay. So there's no take my breath away moments that are going to make them say ooh and hide their eyes? The, uh, I mean, there might be. And that's why <laughs> I said for the most part, and I didn't say completely. Is there um, another
0: volleyball scene? <laughs> it is not volleyball. They changed it.
1: Okay. Cause my kids they they were like they were like why are they wearing jeans and playing volleyball shirtless and i was like i like it was the 80s man it was a it was a it's a wild time you want to hear a
0: fun fact about uh about that uh about the volleyball scene yeah the volleyball that is in that um that actor also <laughs> was in castaway yeah wilson yeah <laughs> I'm no, just he's- his IMDb IMDb
1: page <laughs> is legit. Yeah, he's just got a couple volleyball scenes over the years. I mean, I thought he got robbed of best supporting actor a couple times. Um, you know, but look, I mean, they just, you know, they have not come around on on uh, you know, the academy. The academy's, you know, their nomination process is problematic, so.
0: Yeah, but I mean, for the reason Todd and I are talking about that is because this is the first time I've been to a movie in person, uh, since before the chiefs won their first AFC
1: championship. Right. So Tennessee Titans, were you in a full Tyvek suit? Were you, did you have like, you know, were you, were you wearing gloves made of, of, uh, microbacterial wipes? Like, you know,
0: I mean, I, I, I debated about taking wipes in there to wipe down the chair. Um, but I didn't. And uh, I did have a mask on while I was in there enjoying the movie and, yeah, sure, uh, sure. But you know me I, I kept tabs on how many seats were available throughout the day on uh, that FanDigo app. So yeah. I was keeping tabs on how many people were going to be in the theater at that time. And what I ended up learning was uh, even though some of those say unavailable, it's because uh, it's because uh, they may have been sat in earlier in earlier showings. Ah, okay so like some of those actually didn't have people in them. Yeah, or if they did, they were ghosts. Um, but either yeah. way, you know, maybe ghosts enjoy movies too. I don't know. I um, you know, hope to pay full price. But either way, um, yeah. No, I mean, uh, look, I mean, it was it was an awesome movie. I'm I'm probably gonna go see it again in movie theaters, just simply because of how fantastic it was. Because I wanted to get a gauge before I sat in the moving chair for like an MX40 or M40X or whatever it is. Um, I wanted to see if I was gonna get seasick or not, and the answer is no i shouldn't but there are sometimes you know, some of those flight scenes and some of the fighter pilot scenes that they had those are those were next level man those were intense and those were fantastic and um it was it was cool seeing the sonic boom a handful of times when they're hitting a certain amount of amount of a mountain of g
1: yeah i've also heard that the imax union station is a good place to see uh see this one um you know, just because of the immersive sound and video quality. Yeah, um, yeah, that's what I, that's what I've heard from my parents when they went to see it there. Yeah, can you do me a favor though? And no. um, it seems like about every other time you go to that theater in Liberty, um, while you're in the theater, there's like a tornado warning that drops. Yeah. So, can you just let me know next time you go to a movie so that I can just like move my children to the basement with some popcorn.
0: I just, I just love the fact that like I hadn't been to a movie in so long, and then the time that I go <laughs> since one of the last times I went, it's been
1: a couple of years
0: apart, and there was still a tornado both times.
1: Yeah, I think like one of the last movies, it was probably like May two thousand nineteen. You, me, and Teres were at John Wick three when had no idea that a tornado warning had come through until the power went out in the theater with the mm-hmm. in the middle of one of the scenes where the seats are all yeah. cockeyed. It was, it was like hmm. This is uh, uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'll let you know. I mean, normally when you to go to the movies, it was because when I'd go on a Tuesday, the Chiefs would have some news that would happen. Yeah. Um, but now apparently it's <laughs> tornado. related. There you go.
1: Well, and it was the same day that, that Gary Lezak announced that he'd be retiring in December. So uh, he clearly angered the Kansas City weather gods.
0: It happens, man. It happens. That's all I can yep. say about that.
1: All right. Well, hey, um, Chiefs wrapped up their third week of OTAs. Um, if we do want to you know, transition to talking about Chiefs. Yeah. Um, so OTAs in the books, that's all, that's all she wrote for 2022 OTAs. But mandatory mini camps next week, we'll actually get more access uh, instead of one day a week on the last day of practice because um, they've been doing OTAs Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the last three weeks. We'll get to talk to, to players and staff on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day of mini camp coming up next week. And then, then they'll take a six weeks off and, you know, five, six weeks off until training camp starts. But one thing I wanted to ask you is, can you explain the difference in OTAs and mini camp from the perspective of what can we as media and fans learn from watching them and, and what differences are in terms of the players and, and in terms of the off season progression um, can they expect going from these voluntary organized team activities to the mandatory mini camp?
0: Yeah, the biggest thing I was gonna say is one's one's mandatory and you're expected to be there and <laughs> the other one's voluntary. Right. Um, no, I mean they're really honestly there's not there's not a ton of difference. I mean, it's it's they try to make mandatory a little bit more similar to what training camps gonna be if they can, but Andy Reid does such a good job of <clears throat> making such fast, efficient practices. And I can speak from experience because i watched multiple other head coaches not be as efficient as fast with uh, practices and what they get done. And, it, and it's a conditioning in itself, the way that Andy Reid gets it done. So that, that's what I've always appreciated about his practices and how efficient and focused and driven they are and how much they're able to get rep, rep-wise done um, versus some of the other ones that would stagger on for
1: three and a half hours at a time. <laughs> Well, and he's, he's, he's demanding in those, like, I mean, you know, if he feels like a guy slows down on a route or things, I mean, obviously you're not blocking up front like you do, you know, like you would in, in training camp or in a game, but if he feels like a guy slowed down on a route or, or ran the wrong route, like Andy's like, Andy is already barking at guys and, and, you know, making sure like holding them accountable because, and I, I mean, I think he's always done that, but I think there's more, uh, More determination, you know, more urgency to do that this year because you do have so many new moving pieces and, and, uh, you know, things have got to get right. The Chiefs, I mean, if you look at their schedule, they don't have, I don't think they have the luxury of starting slow this year and getting back into the race quite as easily. Um, so I I think he knows they're, they're going to have to hit the ground running. They've got some big games out of the gate. I mean, not necessarily Arizona, but certainly the Chargers week two and, And moving on from there, you know, those first six weeks, they've got the Buccaneers and some other teams in there. Um, I think he knows they they need to get off to a faster start this year if they want to add to that collection of division titles that, um, you know, he has handsomely stacked on his mantle.
0: Yeah, no, they're not going to be able to play around. And, yeah, they're they're going to have to be on point whenever training camp comes around and what they go through and what they work on. And you have to look sharp in preseason at – um at each depth level so yeah now they're uh they're gonna have to they're having to set a new culture and create a new culture there in some ways with with the with the new faces they getting them to buy in with everything so that that's going to be in that regard um but from what i remember somebody did actually get to stay the entire time and watch uh and watch practice this time they didn't have other responsibilities they had to go do and i believe their name was todd palmer Todd, what did you observe that you can say
1: from, well, we will start with defense and obviously there's, you know, um, there's, you know, um, it's, I mean, look, it's glorified seven on seven, um, you know, but they do do some, some team drills where, you know, they've got the guys out there, um, you know, doing, you know, kind of live. I mean, and they're not just throwing on air. Um, so, so it is fun to observe some of those periods and, I mean, obviously Nick Bolton, and he addressed it. He's, he's been, you know, moved to middle linebacker this year. Um, and he's really progressed in his pass coverage responsibility. He's learning those. They're not a whole lot different from when he was playing outside linebacker, uh, last year, but, um, you know, I mean, they are a little bit different and there, there was one play in particular where, um, he dropped into his zone. Um, Travis Kelsey was coming across and, uh, and he picked off, uh, you know, he he bobbled a little bit, but he picked off Patrick Mahomes. And um, so it's good to see him make progress because he's going to be a critical piece of that defense. I mean, he's been, you know, he talked about adjusting to having to wear the green dot, which means he's probably going to be, you know, he's certainly in consideration, probably going to be the guy calling the plays. He's probably going to be on the field a lot more. Last year, you know, he was on the field for 40 to 60% of the snaps. I'd expect to see him on there a lot more as as the middle. Um, um, and so, you know, it's good to see him making progress. And Andy Reed talked about, this is one of the values of OTAs in many camp. Um, you know, obviously you can't hit there's limitations and that limits the value of some of those practices, but for linebackers and pass coverage for young guys coming into the league and trying to get a feel for the speed of the game, going against NFL receivers for the first time for a guy like Joshua Williams, there is a lot of value in that, um, and so to see Bolton do that was great. I will also say that it, a, a rep or two later, uh, Patrick Mahomes made sure that uh, he hit Kelsey on a deep cross and and uh, put it out there and he got beyond Nick Bolton. And I asked uh, Nick, I, I said, when you make a play like that interception on Patrick Mahomes, do you know he's going to come back at you even harder in the next rep or two? And he's like, "He's like, yeah, Pat doesn't take it easy on him. <laughs> All right. um, but that, that kind of stuff, is helpful because look, Nick Bolton's not going to see many quarterbacks or tight ends. Once the season starts who are at the level, certainly, you know, or better than Patrick Mahomes and and Travis Kelsey. So if he can get sharpened in those situations, I'd imagine he'll be in better shape when it's, you know, um, Zach Ertz and, and Kyler Murray, for example. Right. I mean, I, I, I mean, it, it's all a, a benefit. And obviously, you know, pass coverage is a big thing. I mean, I, you know, they're high on Trent McDuffie. They're high on Joshua Williams. They, you know, they drafted them for a reason and, and brought them in here, um, you know, and, and these are valuable reps to see those guys work in at, a, at what's frankly a position of need.
0: And is there, I would say from a corner, how comfortable do you feel with the secondary after getting to be able to launch them?
1: I mean, certainly, you know, there's some. You were always worried about depth at, at corner. I, I, you know, right. But Justin Reed's a guy who's out there who seems comfortable. He's flying around. He's making plays. Juan Thornhill made some plays. He, you know, he made some plays in coverage uh, against Josh Gordon. Um, you know, there was a early in in in, uh, in the the teamwork last. You know, Josh Gordon. Who, who Andy bragged about, you know, having having had a, a little bit longer off season, having gotten, you know, he's more, he's lost some weight. He's more in shape than he was coming off the suspension and missing the first half of last season, too, before signing with the Chiefs. He's more in shape, he's more ready to go. He knows the playbook a little bit better. Josh Gordon looked really good in practice. I don't want to hype it up too much and act like this is vintage Pro Bowl Josh Gordon from his first couple of years in the league, but Josh Gordon ran a deep corner and, and absolutely cooked Jalen Watson. And I, you know, perfect throw from Patrick Mahomes, but it was coming right at us. A- and Josh Gordon looked great. They tried to run something similar later, but it was Juan Thornhill and Trent McDuffie. And the pass was not complete because McDuffie and, and Thornhill had pretty good coverage on it. So um, you're seeing some of that develop, um, you know, as, as, you know, as we go along, I, I the secondary, the young guys look good uh, and and they're going against some veteran guys at times, um, you know, so they're getting work. I mean, obviously we haven't seen a depth chart, you know, but, but you imagine when you got a first round pick, right? I mean, he, they're probably not going to bury him. They've already talked about McDuffie probably going right into the starting lineup, but don't be surprised if Josh Williams factors heavily into it, along with Legarius Sneed in the slot, Rashad, the, the X factor there, of course, is that Rashad Fenton's not out there because he's dealing with the shoulder injury and he may not be available till uh, just before training camp or sometime into training camp. Um, you know, but they're, those young guys are working in at the secondary um, and, and uh, they're going to have to play a role because they're just not a lot of depth at that position. And then since you talked about receiver, we'll go back to the other side of the ball, the guys who
0: are trying to beat them in coverage. Um, I know receivers been a big topic among a, a lot of media in town for you. What jumped out at you being able to get your first kind of true look at them in that regard? Marquez Valdez Scantling
1: looks really good. Um, How good, Todd? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I told you about Josh Gordon. He flashed, too, but um, there was one play where. Mahomes is staring in the middle of the field and is squared up to the middle of the field and literally throws straight across his body. I mean, one of those vintage, no look Mahomes passes, similar to the the play, you know, the first one that a lot of people remember in that Baltimore game back in 2018, very similar. Like he's, he's almost looking the other side of the field and throws all the way across his body. Um, and, and MVS talked about how you know, he was asked, like, oh, you know, are you used to that? Are you prepared for that? And he's like, He's like, "Well, you know, I, I played with Aaron Rodgers, who was the first guy in the league to kind of do it. So, yeah, he's like, he's like, I know to keep my head on a swivel and always be ready cuz you never know with a guy like Pat. He's like cuz they're they're both the best quarterbacks out there doing it. One's just a little bit older. Uh but on that particular play, MVS just stuck his hand out cuz the, the pass a little in front of him made a one-handed grab with his left hand um, and got, you know, got up field made something out of it. Um He's also doing a little bit more working over the middle and underneath routes um, than he probably did in Green Bay, where they had Devonte Adams, um, and that's an area where, look, they like what they've seen from from him. You know, Green Bay didn't use him in that role very much because they had Randall Cobb, they had Devonte Adams, and the offense just didn't have put Marquez Valdez Scantling in that position very often but the chiefs have done that a little bit. And, and Andy talked about, we really like what we've seen from him and his ability to, to work those underneath routes. And he's still got the speed. He's still got the size, but he's developed a real connection. And then of course um, you know, Juju Smith Schuster, he's just, he's steady, steady, like a freight train. Um, You know, and I, I think you're going to see that as well. Um, Sky Moore finally, Worked in. He didn't get targeted a whole lot, at least in, in the times that I've seen. That doesn't mean he wasn't on Tuesday or Wednesday or in previous weeks, but during the period where media could see it, you didn't see a lot of targets for Skymore. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if if he factors into it. Um, you know, Travis Kelsey, Blake Bell, Noah Gray's a guy who he made some catches. Um, you know, working with Mahomes at different times um, down the field. Uh, leaping grabs, stuff like that, where um, I, I would not be shocked if Noah Gray makes a leap from year one to year two. Um, and is a much, much more productive player in the offense, um, you know, and, and it remains to be seen how much the chiefs rely on 12 personnel or even 13 or, or what changes come to the offense. Um, you know, I mean, and, but Andy's opened up the playbook and, and we know Andy's got those kind of plays. I mean, I don't think he's going to go to inside Veer all of a sudden. Um, you know, like you know, like some like Bill Bill Belichick kind of referenced this week. Um, but I think you're gonna see some some new wrinkles and and some new evolutions of the offense. And, but some of that'll also be going back to stuff that's worked in previous years. Um, you know, the other guy who stood out, man, Jody Fortson's out there running routes, Jody Fortson's out there blocking, Jody Fortson's out there making plays. Jody Fortson. Looks like he's ready to go, um, and that's got to be encouraging because he he still looks like that athletic uh, specimen that really turned heads in camp and finally made the roster last year. Jody Fortson looks like that guy at least. Grant no pads, you know he's not getting you know beat up, but but he looks like he's still got that that same uh, uh, you know ability that had people so excited last year and anytime a guy's coming off an injury like an Achilles you worry about that but early you know, early observations on Jody Fortson were positive too
0: and then lastly what I'll ask you from OTAs: um the tackle position I mean we don't really need to talk about the interiors we already know what everybody's capable of there but there are a lot of question marks at left and
1: right tackle yeah I mean Lucas Niang's injury is gonna gonna be a gonna take it all the way up to the beginning of the season so they're gonna have to figure out you know he's not gonna be there in camp to compete for that spot Andrew Wiley was the was the starter last year after Niang went out they re-signed him I mean I wouldn't be surprised as the incumbent if he's right I mean like look he's the guy they, they know what he can do and we know that Andy Heck and Andy Reid are, are pretty loyal to those kind of guys and and they they like those known quantities. So I wouldn't be surprised at all. If Andrew Wiley goes in as the presumptive starter at right tackle. Um, But look, they brought in Garen Christensen or Garen Christian, sorry, from the Houston Texans. He's, he's a pretty good pass blocker. This is an offense that uses a lot of, uh, uh, you know, that passes more than they run. We'll see how that mix shifts if it does it all this season. But I mean, Garen Christian has some value. They obviously like what they saw there. Um, and look, there are developmental guys, you know, I mean, you know, Prince was on the Prince Tego Winogo was on the roster a lot last year, but there are guys like Roderick Johnson that have been around for a while on the practice squad that they like. And that just like Nick Bolton making progress in, you know, in his pass coverage, maybe this is the year a guy like Roderick Johnson uh, makes a leap forward um, and, and, you know, and, and works his way in, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if you're seeing a lot of, of, of those guys kind of mixing and matching as they go through the training camp on the preseason, trying to figure out what the right answer to the question is at right and left tackle. And in a weird way, it kind of helps um, in that process because, you know, Orlando Brown jr is not there right now um, and won't be at mini camp. um, You know, because um, he still hasn't signed his franchise tender. So, um, so those other guys are, are getting reps, getting work, um, you know, with Patrick Mahomes, with Travis Kelsey, alongside a guy like Joe Tooney, um, you know, or alongside Trey Smith at the at the guard spots. And, um, you know, those those could be valuable reps down the road, depending on how the season shakes out and depending on how healthy guys remain.
0: And speaking of Orlando Brown, Jr., um, he, made, he made even more news this week. And I know one of the Twitter followers isn't going to enjoy us talking about him for the third consecutive week in a row. At least we didn't lead off with it this time,
1: right? (laughs) It's like, it's like Carlo. you know, we finally moved him down in the lineup, you know, because after, you know.
0: So, I mean, what, I guess from my perspective, what, what did you take away from, well, one, um, his comments that he made in, uh, on NFL total access, and then two, just kind of, the the media blitz that his uh, that his representatives helped put out there this week.
1: Yeah well I mean obviously reports are they, they met with the, the Chiefs on Monday. Um and, and that
0: yeah and I'll get, I'll recognize the report to Nate Taylor the athletic right Nate got, a, Nate got a lot of good nuggets in that athletic story so I want to make sure he gets recognition on that one.
1: Yeah and and Andy Reid confirmed that you know Michael Portner, who is Orlando Brown Jr.'s new agent and Uh, GM Brett Veach had had conversations this week, right? So so we know that that, that's out there. Look, I mean, honestly, the the thing that jumped out the most is that whenever Orlando Brown Jr. does return to the Chiefs, um, he might have to, um, you know, um, explain to his teammates, you know, his comments about not wanting to go into the season with, you know, this isn't the season to go into with a backup left tackle, because, um, while, I mean, you know, he's the starter and obviously, you know, you want him to have confidence, uh, that could be construed as taking a teammate, chucking him in the road and then driving a bus over, him. you know? And, um, so I think you've got to be, you got to be careful there. I also think, look, these media blitzes aren't that uncommon when guys are in the middle of contract situations, they want to pump up their guy. They want to get his name out there. They want to be able to explain his value. I'll, I'll put it this way. Andy Reed was kind of asked about, about the situation, things that were maybe said. And Andy said, yeah, I mean, things get said. Some of them are true. Some of them aren't, which I think was also kind of a nod toward you know the, Ty- the Tyreek Hill situation and the way that blew up. Um, but I think, I think at least for Andy and the the administration, they're savvy enough to understand that this is all part of a PR campaign designed at maximizing contract value for a player. Now, whether any teammates took it personally, that's another story. And that's where, you know, it comes down to the relationships that Orlando has with his teammates and whether anything needs to be smoothed over there. I can't speak to that. I'm not in the locker room. I don't know what relationships they have, but, there, you know, he may have to have a conversation or two with teammates and make sure they understand, listen, guys, it wasn't personal. I didn't mean it the way it came off. It was just business. And if you frame it like that, I think guys understand, you know, business is business and, and guys can move on. Yeah. That, that's
0: the, the couple of key points that came out from the media blitz that was done to create leverage is um, first off. And one of, uh, I can't remember, if was in the, I think he's in the Forbes article, and I'll get all three confused, but at the end of the day, they're all about about him. Um, that it it admitted that he played at three sixty five last year, right. and that he was trying to get down to three forty five. My first question comes with that: if you're in a contract year like you were last year, you know you want to be at your best weight, you want to be in a in in a certain level of condition, and you want to put your best foot forward when you're when a team invests in you and moves you to left tackle like that and gives you the opportunities that you're looking for. Like you want to give them every reason to pay you to where it's it's the this time that we're in now you've already got the contract done three months before that because you gave them no reason to not you know financially give you everything that you're looking for and what you're asking for is similar to what you put out on tape like that's that's number one for me in that regard so like that admission was kind of concerning because it shows that it didn't necessarily that he may it, it gives the perception. That he may have not really put into it what he could have in, during a contract year. So the question becomes: Okay, once the team does invest in you financially, are you going to put that level in, or is it going to be more of the same type of thing? So that that raises a little bit of a red flag there. The second thing, like you talked about on Total Access, whenever you made the comment about how you don't want to go into the season with the backup left tackle against some of the AFC West defensive ends, the pro like there's a way you can approach that. And say, hey, you know, I, I think my skill set, the way I would have personally advised him would been like, hey, the way you phrase that and frame that is I feel like I give this team the best skill set possible at left tackle and I don't, and I want to help my team get to another Super Bowl. So I think someone at my, my skill set and my caliber is what we want to go with at defensive end to where you don't call it in a, in a way you don't refer to another teammate as a backup tackle like you that they're inferior you don't say it that way like you kind of have to showcase it more as your own beliefs versus like just trying to as you say essentially it gives the illusion that you're throwing somebody under the bus and that's not what you want and and that's something that like you said he's gonna have to smooth over with people in his offensive line group and that's the one group of the guys that you go go to war with day in and day out in a positive way that like that's, that's the group you got to have is back no matter what. I mean, you want to have your team's entire back, but that's the group among groups that like you're all on the same Island together. And like, you've got to be able to bond and be together in that regard so that things like that don't happen. So like saying that was disappointing to hear like that, that wasn't, that's not the way you go about that. If you're trying to get your money and that that's, that's the comment that's going to stick with a lot of people. Um, the third thing that I did just kind of, I don't know. It was interesting is, you know, I mean, obviously they confirmed that they want to be the, the highest paid tackle in the league, but then in some of the other quotes, it kind of seemed like they're willing to, to finagle off that a little bit, but whenever it, it was put out there by his agent and Nate Taylor's a, our article in the athletic that essentially he's not going to show up for mandatory minicamp like that, that's another big one to where, I mean, I get it from a leverage perspective, but at the same time, I mean, like you like like I've talked about this podcast before, you haven't invested in four and five years like you know, Chris Jones did when he made that decision, or Patrick Mahomes, you know, and like those, those Chris Jones and Patrick Mahomes, they're two of the best at their position. Like there's no disputing it. They proved it on the field and they invested in the team and the community over multiple years. While well, he, on the other hand,'s only really been here one year. So it's just not gonna, I just don't think it, it carries that same amount of weight at this time. And like I, I, think it would have helped a little bit if he potentially shows up for a mandatory minicamp and kind of is there to kind of work his way back in. And it, I mean, we'll see what ends up happening. Maybe he ends up signing the tag and shows up for mandatory minicamp, and or you know, or or whatever. But I mean, making that statement being made just kind of made me be like, all right, man. I mean, you can go down that road, but I mean. What are you gonna do if July 15th hits and that's that's the only option that's left on the table at that point?
1: Yeah, and I, I mean these negotiations take time. I, I do think that there is interest on the Chiefs' behalf in in keeping him around sure, for sure. a few more years. I mean, I, I you know young left tackles, you know, with a Pro Bowl pedigree don't just fall off, you know, there's no it, it, it's like Ned Yost used to talk about. There's not a third baseman tree I can go out and, you know, just replace Mike Musakas right? They, you, there's not a, there's not a left tackle tree either. Like the chiefs don't have a lot. I mean, they truthfully, they don't have a lot of great options beyond um, Orlando Brown jr. I mean, they, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, there's been, you know, people, you know, Joe Tooney obviously played out there last year. I mean, There are things that you could do in theory, but I think your best option obviously would be at this point right now would be a slim down motivated Orlando Brown next to a Joe Tooney. Right. Um, So he's not wrong there. I I think the mistake is, you know, like you talked about, you can point out, Hey, I'm great. This is why you want me as your left tackle. The AFC West is really good this year. I welcome that challenge. I'm ready for it. I've slimmed down. We're going to go, right, without without p- seeming to denigrate other players. And so I'm going to go ahead and give him the benefit of the doubt that he just misspoke and that there wasn't any malice there. Uh, but the optics aren't great. And the, the problem, like, there's three guys in the league, three, who make more than $20 million a year average annual value at, the left tackle position. All right. It's Trent Williams, David Bakhtiari and Laramie Tunsil. Um, So the question is nobody else makes that kind of money. Like, I mean, you've got to demonstrate in, in every way on the field, off the field, with your dedication, with your work ethic, that you belong in the class with that group. And you know so i mean I, I think it's an open question and one that the chiefs are gonna have to answer we'll ultimately find out how the chiefs answer it based on what happens with the contract whether they view him in that light
0: yeah that and that will we'll get a piece of that puzzle on you know by july 15th and i right. i don't necessarily know what way it's going to go you don't know what way it's going to go i don't know if the chiefs and orlando brown know what it's going to go yet um but yeah, I mean, we'll we'll find out then. That'll be step one. And then depending on if he does have to play on the tag, then that's you know, and this is it's definitively at that point that like, hey, you gotta, you're gonna have to, you know, you're gonna have to show him a different thing if you want to get to that level financially that you're that you're looking for. So like, that's the decision he's gonna have to make because obviously the strategy you took last year didn't necessarily work for him and like where part of my irritation is and it's an it is as well is like like you knew free agency was coming you knew the entire time like you knew over a year ago that like hey i'm gonna hit free agency maybe they tag me maybe not but like i gotta give them every reason to give me the money that uh, that i i feel like i deserve and like you've got to leave no you know you gotta leave no stone unturned whether it was conditioning or what you were doing that Like, Hey, this is this, this, we need, we have to pay this guy. So like when you get rid of the previous agents that you had before free agency starts, whenever that, whenever that could have been happening where those guys could have been doing the media blitz tour and all that type of stuff and giving you plenty of months to kind of put something together and create cap space potentially and all that stuff. It just, you know, it just, I, I think he really put himself behind the eight ball and for his agent to have to try to get um a potentially massive contract done that fits what he may want and what the chiefs are able to do within four to five weeks. It's just, that's, it's going to be going to be interesting. And and I think it's a, I think it's a, it's It's going to be a lot of heavy lifting to get that done by July 15th.
1: Yeah. I mean, talk about a baptism by fire, you know, um, I'll be interested in a couple of months to ask Michael Portner, what was your welcome to the NFL moment, <laughs> you know, when you sat down at the negotiating table for the first time thrown right into, you know, a lot, I mean, cause the stakes are high, right? I mean, they, they have not been shy about the fact they want the largest, you know, he wants to be the highest paid left tackle. you know, the offensive tackle in the game. Um, those are some high stakes, right? And look, if he pulls it off, I imagine that uh, Delta sports group will, uh, Attract a few more clients. I I imagine Orlando Brown will not be his last NFL client.
0: Correct. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I mean, look, I apologize to the one person on Twitter that always gets upset that we talk about him. But I guess my thing is stop making news. (laughs) Stop being something that needs to be chatted about. Okay, it's not my problem. And also, it's a slow time of year. So you know, um, we'll be interesting to see. We get as you talked about, got one one more week in mandatory minicamp. I'm hoping. I'll be able to get out there and uh you know, at least get out there for a day if not two, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what the schedule holds and do that. And you know, and then maybe I'll have some observations next week, possibly,
1: hopefully. Right. We'll see. Right. Can't guarantee anything, people. If I see you out there, um I mean, you know, you went to in public at a movie theater. Um so if I see you out there, will I get a hug? No. Like that's always going to be a no. Like why? <laughs> Why do you think that's a possibility? I thought maybe, you know, your heart had softened like butter on the counter.
0: No, (laughs) no. It's it's, (laughs) if if you're comparing me to butter, I'm the butter that's been in the freezer for like a solid 30 years, (laughs) if not more. And like, you know, it's 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 frozen, frozen stiff, bro.
1: It's not going to it's not, you know, it's not falling out. I feel like that's the butter that most needs a hug, though.
0: Look, buddy, I've got ice inside my soul. Okay. <laughs> like, I mean, let's just, let's just, let's just call it what it is. Okay. Right. I'm going to put it on the table like that board.
1: Well, I'm then I'm going to have to take volcanic glass with me just in case your eyes gloss over and turn, you know, icy blue, you know, I don't know when winter is coming okay
0: well i'm glad we glad we got that game of thrones reference on there and it's so happy you were able to <laughs> really timely to too right most evil villain possible in game of thrones it was super kind of you todd and that just put the that just put the 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 factor of getting a hug even lower yeah like well, that just that just made me dig my heels in even more so congrats on that all right so sneak hug it is Find out how successful I am next week on 4th and one. You do realize that I'll have security throw you out at practice if right. that happens, right? Right.
1: Like, <laughs> I get tackled by Luke and Brad.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't think they'll do it, but there will be other people <laughs> that can handle that and take care of that business. Yeah. All right. I got nothing else, man. Well, I, I wish I could say that ending of this podcast was a pleasure, <laughs> but I mean, it, was, it was certainly an experience.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, until the next Tom Palmer experience, take care, kids.